You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. If you don't recognize my voice after not podcasting forever on the Family Feud Podcast, I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Shotgun Sprantling. We're back with another episode. We took a little hiatus for the month of May. Not intentionally, but we're back. What? There, was, there wasn't a ton to do, so it was partly intentionally. No. Plus, weren't you like sick or something? Like You're always like deathly no. ill. No. Well, I did have a death in the family, so yes, that's what happened. Oh, I'm referring but to you. You're just always no, under the fine. weather. I was fine. It's you, Carmen San Diego, <laughs> who was everywhere. That's partially why. That was kind of all over the place. Yes. So, but we're back. We're back and better than ever. And it seems... Like USC is also better than ever, at least for the 2019 offseason. It seems like the tide is shifting, if you will. Forgive the kind of Alabama reference, but it seems like USC's offseason is going a little bit better than what we originally thought. But before we get into all of that, the newsy items, as a new reminder, so I guess it's not a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. It's new, not iTunes anymore. Google Play. And now we're on a different hosting website. We're on Megaphone. So if you want to find us there, you can find us there. Uh, If you had multiple downloads happen on your phone or wherever you have your podcast we apologize it's kind of happened because we're transferring over yeah that's what's happening so in college my my teammates uh my baseball teammates had a megaphone i don't know where they got it from but they had a megaphone in their room so it was a a u-shaped building and they were in the interior so whenever what people would walk by you know walk a shame in the morning whatever it was the megaphone would be at the window and they would you know yell out whatever came to their mind about people that were walking by and it would just echo off the building so you'd be walking by and you would just hear you know you'd be shotgun <laughs> like just going all crazy so uh you know i have a dear memory of megaphones apparently wow nice if you were playing family feud podcast at home you can check off shotgun uh, nostalgia reference <laughs> Um, I like how you widen the reference. I mean, there is the Glory Days playing days reference, and then there's a nostalgia reference. So oh, okay. There's, the, there's gotcha. separate, you know. I gotta see this bingo board so <laughs> I know gotta, what to avoid or what to try to hit. We gotta make an official up. Family Feud <laughs> podcast bingo board. Um, but you could also, as a reminder, email us your questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfoodpod at gmail.com. Shouts to everyone who kept sending us questions and submissions while we were on a little hiatus. We appreciate you guys, and we'll answer your questions at the end of the show. But first, Shotgun, let's start with the newsier topics. Uh, it seemed like USC has picked up some players in our hiatus. Uh, it's pretty crazy. It's it's definitely unique. I mean, uh, I, I think the fact that the the recruiting cycle is just not stopping uh, yes. it is very interesting uh, and it's continuing. I think Gerard had you know probably the best tweet on it yesterday when he said the National Signing Day is just a pit stop in the world of college football recruiting these days. Early enrollment question mark? Just a three month long official visit that comes with a syllabus. Welcome to the new. It's the new new, uh, and I, I think it's a very fitting tweet uh, from from Gerard. And you know, it's kind of you know, Gerard was the first one that kind of said that hey, offers are now like flowers on the first day. And yeah. you know, I think this is the the next step. It's just you know, when there are changes made in the rules, the NCAA made the changes, the transfer portal, and some different things. There's going to be adjustment period, and I think that you're seeing the adjustment period, and the recruiting cycle is just not ending. So um, you know, with players deciding that they want to leave programs after after being there early and trying to get hardship waivers and different things you know it it makes it for an an interesting 
off season that you know things just never really end and you know we're used to that on the usc beat but uh i don't know if everyone around the country is quite ready for the fact that hey we got to worry about recruiting all year long and you know things are are just going to evolve as the season progresses and for usc it's been positive for them you know they've had a lot of guys go in the transfer portal they had a couple guys come back you know you're getting some guys you know uh out of the transfer portal now so you know i think a lot of things are, are positive in those developments yeah for sure let's start off with the first uh, development chronologically. Brew McCoy, we heard some rumblings. Brew is kind of feeling homesick. He's back in California. Things are are happening. Uh, Greg Biggins was definitely on that. And then uh, Greg actually released a statement from Brew. He thanked Texas for his time there, said it wasn't really a reflection on the coaching staff or his teammates. He just uh, wants to be closer to home. Then he officially entered the transfer portal once again. And now it's not official whether or not he'll be back at USC, but it's kind of implied based on the way he's conducting himself and also his connections to modern day players who are on the USC team. Shotgun, it doesn't seem like Brew will be able to apply for a waiver, uh, a hardship waiver. I mean, he can apply. He can apply, but whether or not the NCAA will let him, allow him to have that hardship, it's, it seems like it's not going to be a thing. So he will most likely, if he goes to USC, sit out a season. But what does this mean for USC, for Brew, for all, all of the above? I mean, for USC, you're getting a five-star player that is a wide receiver and an outside linebacker, and if you decide to use him in both, and hey, if he has to redshirt this year, this might give him that time where you know he can practice at both positions and learn the playbooks on both sides. So when he is actually goes into a game next year potentially, then you know he's ready to go and he can do both. And, and you know, I don't know if USC is going to try to use him that way. That's what I would do. I would have him as a wide receiver that's out catching passes in this new spread offense, and then I would also have him coming off the edge on third downs or in pass rush situations because he can get to the quarterback. Some people think he's better on as an outside linebacker, and that's always the debate with you know two-way guys in high school that are really good athletes is where do you put them? Well, USC getting him one that's going to help with depth in practice. You know that's a big thing because that they didn't have during the spring. You know it was basically guys were matched up. You know, it was what four or five DBs and four or five wide receivers, and you guys are going at each other every single day. Isaac Taylor Stewart, you got Michael Pittman today. All right, you're guarding him the entire day. Uh, I think this is going to give some more rotation, which is good for players on both sides because then if you're a DB, you know, you go up against a big guy one rep, and next rep you're getting a you know a more of a shifty guy. Uh, so it, it's good to get a variety there to to help your skill sets uh, grow. Um, but also just the competition period uh you know the competition periods with brew in it he's a very competitive kid he's going to go out there and make guys better uh and i think that's something that that usc needs they need somebody that, that's kind of fiery like that, that that's willing to go at somebody and you got amon ross st brown i think just adding more competitive players is always a good thing he just he's a different he's a difference maker he's a playmaker he goes out and you know he catches the ball he in in traffic he goes up high points it he does a lot of different things the receiver position that are that will help an offense and I think in this offense with JT Daniels potentially you know throwing it to him Amon Ra uh you know Tyler Vaughn's you know if Michael Pittman will be gone to the NFL but you know if Tyler Vaughn's is still around you just got so many weapons there I think the offense is only going to continue to, to grow and you know having him in line for next year and being on campus to you know to get ready for a year uh, I think he was going to come out and as a redshirt freshman he's going to he, he'll tear the cover up we have talked on this podcast before we're big Brew McCoy fans in the sense that he just has a good head on his shoulders, mature kid, and yet he kind of has this flip-flopping situation. Um, I get that he's a teenager kid, things happen. Did this change your perception of what you think of his maturity or anything like that? 
you know, it, it's an interesting situation. He's he's one of the kids where you just wouldn't expect this to yeah. to be him. There's other players you're like, okay, I could see, you know, that the, there's some drama involved in the process. He's just he's not a kid that you would expect that from. Now I understand why he decided to leave USC and kind of the reasonings that he had then. But looking at the Texas situation, I had a source tell me, you know, he didn't really like Tom Herman. Now I don't know if that's that, that's not you know confirmed. He really really liked his wide receivers coach. Uh, but they, you know, he just didn't see eye to eye with Herman, maybe. So uh, maybe that had something to do with it. You know, just the reasonings there, though, are seem like very eighteen-year-old reasons. Uh, did he left USC? You know, this offense coordinator's not coming. They told me he was. You know, I'm tired of this. I'm leaving. Uh, and, you know, some of the there was more to it than just you know we're simplifying things down. But it seems like a very eighteen-year-old reasons to leave each school um, instead of sticking things out and trying it out and seeing. But you know, if it, the the funniest part is the the Tom Herman quote um, from you know when he transferred to U to Texas from USC is that you know they applauded him for being courageous and leaving. I, was like, I don't think he's following applaud- his heart. Yeah, I don't think he's applauding him anymore. Uh, I think maybe he's crying a tear, maybe he's yelling at someone. I don't know. He might be just yelling at the wall, you know, over the situation. But you know, I, I think that it's a very dynamic situation, and you 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 wouldn't expect it to be Brew being the guy that is. Just because you know the best part of it, if he does come to USC for us, is that we, we get to interview him again now because he's yep. a great talker. You know, he's always good, really good with quotes, really good with the media. So we're looking forward to having him back if that's the case. Yeah, agreed. Um, I know in Brew's camp, they kind of acknowledge that Brew, as a person, as a national perspective, might take a PR hit from this. Do you think that's the case? Do you think this is something where, say, Brew goes on to have a really successful career at USC if he does choose to go to USC? Do people forget about his origin story? Or on the other hand, is Brew just one of many now that the transfer portal has kind of opened Pandora's box? You know, I think that his national perception will be this until he makes it something else. Now, if he's a Blitnikoff winner or something, people will remember that more than they like, wait a second, was that the guy? I don't think that's going to be the case. Like Landon Collins, you know, had the thing with his mom. I think people were like, oh, that's an NFL safety right there, rather than being like, oh, Landon Collins was that guy whose mom didn't like when he wanted to go to Alabama instead of LSU. I mean, we still remember that. <laughs> it's part of the story, but it's not the story. Uh, it's not It's not the whole story. So I, I think he can change the perception by going out and, you know, having a successful career. And But if he, you know, if in a year he ends up transferring again, then, you know, it just it builds and builds on itself. Um, so he's got to change the perception by being successful on the field. One thing to note is that his relationship with JT Daniels and mm-hmm. how much impact did that have? You know, when I talked to Brew during the season, he told me, you know, that he, that JT had come down to modern day and hung out with him. And I said, well, how much do you guys talk about recruiting football? It's like, it's not really that it's more life, you know, talking about girls or whatever it may be talking about, you know, just what's going on at, at modern day still those type things. And that, and that's, I think that relationship and the fact that those two guys have grown up together at modern day, um, I think that played a large role in the fact that, you know, if he ends up at USC, I think JT Daniels will have played a big part in it, even if his name's not necessarily connected out in the open with it. Yeah, I completely uh, agree with that assessment. Um, Now, on Monday, Valus Jones Jr. tweeted, Feels great to be a Trojan. Can't wait to get back to work with my brother's wartime. Emoji, emoji. A big boost for USC. Uh, Ryan Abraham got a little a little bit of trouble because he tweeted it adds a lot of depth to depth to USC's wide receivers. But depth is just a general term in the in the sense that USC didn't have a lot of wide receivers in the spring. Uh, they're going to need some wide receivers in the fall. Uh, but it seems like having Valus Jones back is a big boost for USC. 
Yeah, it does add depth. I don't I don't understand what the issue with that that tweet was. Uh, it's another body, which is good because USC was so slim uh, in the spring, but it's also a starter. You're getting a starter, a guy who played 12 games last year. You know, he was very involved in the offense. He played 23 snaps a game on offense, but I don't think they knew how to use him correctly. Yep. You know, they try two years ago. They tried to do a lot of you know a lot of the jet sweeps and a lot of stuff, and it just you know, when he came in, you're like, okay, look for this and look for that. And he became more of a complete wide receiver last year. He had some deep ball catches, you know, the the, uh, the game against uh, Texas. He had a couple deep balls. He finally got in the end zone uh, against, I think, Arizona State, um, you know, getting in when he'd been very close a couple times, you know, getting uh, knocked down at the at the one or two yard line against Arizona and against Texas. So he was really excited to get in against Arizona State, I think it was. So I think he's his maturation from when he first got to campus as hey he's the speed guy, well his hands weren't great, um, okay so can't necessarily throw in the ball in these certain routes. Uh, we'll use him as the jet sweep guy. Well now it's gone from that to he's become more of a complete receiver. He's an inside guy that you can use. You can take the top off a of defense. I think he's a big addition to back to this offense because yeah. of his speed and the fact that you can push those safeties deeper. If you can do that, then that opens up all that short game stuff that USC wants to run in the air raid offense. The air raid wants to be a lot of short passes and quick, but you have to have someone who can take the top of the defense or else the safeties are in the box and it takes away all the slants and a lot of the, the shorter stuff. But you know that's where the explosive plays come in the air raid offense is having a burner either at the tailback position where you know you can get you know you get a crease and you're gone um and because you know the, the safeties are having to play you know you're having to double cover some receivers or whatever it may be or a guy in the slot that can take away you know can take the safeties deep you know it just opens up so much more and i just don't know that they had that on the roster while he was in the transfer portal yeah you know they just did that was not a receiver that they had now coming in you got keenan Kristen, you know as another speed guy that, at the running back position but at the receiver spot i just didn't think that they had that amon Ross st brown is really really good in the slot However, he's not the speed guy necessarily. You know, he can take the top off the defense, but he's going to be covered on that, and he's just going to make a ridiculously good catch. And you just buy the shield guys. He's going to do it in a different way. Yeah. They didn't have the speed guy to do it, and I think Valus adds that. So I think it's a big addition to this offense because of the style he is. Now, if it was, you know, if you had another bit, if Devin Williams was in there, I don't think it adds as much because you have that similar body type in Michael Pittman yeah. or Tyler Vaughns, or even if Michael Pittman was in there and he comes back. You're like, wow, you got a, you got your best receiver back, but you already had that body type. So I don't think it adds as much value as Velas coming back does. Yeah, that's a, that's a good assessment. I said this on the Dan Pod, but you tweeted that Velas had 31.5 snaps per game last season. But I feel like if you ask the average USC fan, did Velas really get involved in the offense? They'd probably say no. And you kind of got some tweets about that. But it just seems like Velas coming back is a, a good opportunity not only for USC's offense, but for him too. I'm really curious how Graham Harrell uses him in this offense, but also because the knock on, on Velas, like you said, he couldn't catch well, the, the consistency wasn't there. Graham Harrell's offense and practices breed such a repetition that consistency is a, is a natural by, byproduct or should be. So I'm curious in that system, in this type of practicing environment, how Velas can kind of grow in that area. Yeah, I think that's a, a great assessment there. I think the, the offense and the way that you have so many reps per practice that you're only going to get better uh, doing those certain things. Now, that was that was 31 and a half snaps per game, uh, total snaps. So that includes the special teams. That's another area mm. where USC gets a boost because they get yep. their kick returner back. You know, he was close to some of the, the 
breaking a couple of them last year. I know Dan a couple years ago, Dan would say, man, he's, he's, he just, he just seems like he's running falling forward. forward and he's yeah. falling forward all the time. Last year he was breaking an arm tackle or two on his returns. And I think with another year of development, maybe he breaks a couple of those arm tackles and takes it to the house. So I, I feel like he was close a couple of times last year. You felt like he was, he got tackled by a kicker a couple of times. You got to, got to, got to improve on that. Um, but I, I think there's a room for improvement there in that case. You know he's going to be on special teams. He's going to be a guy that you can use in the slot. You can put him on the outside too and just use his speed. But yeah, I think it definitely in this offense. I think he's going to grow as a player too. And you know it just gives USC another weapon. Yeah, and in this air raid ish type offense, the more wide receivers you have, the better. And also the fact that you get an injury or two. Yeah. You know exactly. if Tyler Vaughn's and and Michael Pittman both get injured at the same time and. You know, you you don't hope that, but if that happens, you need guys that can step up. And right now, USC had no really experienced guys coming back. Yeah. Uh, you know, Devin Williams had played some, and uh, you had Amon Ross St. Brown. That was basically it. So now you get Valus back. That's a guy, you know, that's been a starter basically all last year as the slot guy. So now you have three, four starters back basically. Uh, so that gives you a big boost in the in the offense there with experience in case someone does get injured. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts on Valus before we move on to the final? Speed! is what you're getting with Bayless Jones. Yes. And you're seeing that this this team, we'll get to a question later about it, but USC is adding more and more speed and, and getting him back only helps that. Agreed. Moving on to the final member of the, the I don't know what I want to dub this, the, the incoming trio, if you will, maybe, <laughs> hypothetically speaking. Uh, but Chris Steele is actually, as of now, has confirmed that he intends to go to USC, but he entered the transfer portal claiming hardship out of Florida before June committed to Oregon. And then recently deleted that commitment tweet. And then the rumblings kind of happened. And then now it's it's kind of almost confirmed that Chris Steele intends to go to USC. And USC now has a spot for him. So getting Chris Steele and potentially being having him be eligible this season because of a hardship waiver seems like a big pickup for USC because of how decimated their their secondary is. Yeah, I definitely this is a bigger pickup than than Brew or Valus in my opinion just because I was going to ask you where does it rank? Yeah. Because of the lack of depth that you have the DB position and talented depth. You know, he, he's coming in, he's going to there's going to be he just adds to the collection of DBs that are coming in. Yeah. Uh you know, you're going to have a ton of guys coming in fresh faces. So he's going to have an opportunity to compete for a spot, I think. You know, I think that he's going to be in there and you know, we talked about how no one really pushed themselves into one of those starting roles this spring. Mm-hmm. So I think that he has an opportunity to come in and I, maybe that played somewhat into this decision, but you know, he has a chance to come in and compete for a spot just like and there's going to be open spots and the more competitive guys you can bring in that, that are talented, the the better the position is going to be. And, and I think that's what you're going to see from this spot. You know, the, the cornerbacks are, are pretty light, you know, you, so you need someone to come in and prove themselves. And, you know, you got Elijah Griffin, you got Isaac Taylor Stewart and Greg Johnson, those three guys you expected to compete for those two spots, but you haven't had anybody step up. So now can one of those young guys come in, Chris Steele or, or Max Williams or Trey Davis, Adonis Oti, you know, all those guys are coming in. We'll see if any of them can compete. And if Dominic Davis is a guy that, you know, if no one steps up in, in front of him, he's a guy that I think could, could make some noise as well. So there's going to be a lot of competition at that spot, and I think adding Chris Steele only contributes to that. How much does a guy coming in like Chris Steele 
add fuel to the fire, kind of push guys more so than if you didn't have Chris Steele there. I think he's a fire guy. So I think he's a guy that, you know, is willing to, to battle people for a spot. And, and I think that's good. And I think that's going to add to the receivers too. Yeah. Because I don't know how many of those other cornerbacks, I don't know the uh, the disposition of an Adonis OT or anything, but I don't know if any of those other guys are necessarily have that you know, or that fiery guy on the outside that you know that's willing to mix it up in a scrap after the after the whistle or not. Um, I think you need that in every position group. You need someone. Now you got to tame it in during the game, but at practice you need someone to to rile guys up and, and you know keep that competition going back and forth. And I think that the Chris Steele's a guy that can do that. He's a guy that is ultra competitive. He's going to go at you every single play, and, and I think that that's going to be a boost for that group. And you know, Greg Burns gets another body out there, which is, is a positive with how few bodies there were this spring. Do you see Chris Steele staying at corner for his whole hypothetical USC career? I know Greg Biggins kind of sees him more as a free safety. Where do you kind of see Chris? So I've had people tell me they they see Chris Steele as very similar to Iman Marshall. That you know he's already physically developed as a as a cornerback coming out of high school. So where can you go from there? Is it basically he's where he, where he's at physically? Uh, that he's going to be there for the same four years and then you know in his future career. Or if, if he potentially moves to safety, does that open things up and can you do different things? So I think he's going to come in as a cornerback and you see where he's at. I think you'll see something similar that you had with Britton Allen, where they tried Britton Allen cornerback and you know they wanted you know wanted to have him there because of his length and stuff. And you know they decided this experiment's not really working. We'll move him to safety. Maybe you start him at, at Chris Steele at cornerback, and if you have some questions, maybe you try have a trial period at safety. Then right now, I think he's a cornerback though. I know you kind of already addressed this, but if you had to list biggest pickup or most imp- importance for USC as far as Brew, Velas, and Chris Steele, how would you rank it? I mean, I'd start with Chris Steele just because you, know, you need bodies, you need co- competition at that cornerback spot. Then I would go Velas over over Brew McCoy, and I think it's because of what I said, you know, the body type and because he's different. I mean, Brew McCoy is very much like Michael Pittman. He's very much like Devin Williams as far as the physical attributes. Tall, big receivers can jump. Whereas Velas is different than those guys. He's a speed speed guy. He can take the top off the defense. That adds something to the spread offense they didn't have necessarily on the roster. Whereas uh, Brew McCoy is bringing in something. He's going to be really good, I think. But in he's uh, he's also not going to be available this year, I don't think. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's why I rank it that way. It's just because the instant impact is less with Brew. Whereas Chris and, and though technically you could look at it in uh, return on investment style True. of being Valus Jones is only gonna be here for another year or the maybe ROI. two yeah ROI yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it's a different way you look at it but I would still rank him Valus is different so I think it adds to the offense more yeah I would agree with that assessment you should you should always agree with me uh, no we call it the Family Feud podcast for reasons you Mr. agree Gun. with me a lot though because I'm that good mm, debatable. <laughs> Now, when we had Gavin Morris on the live show, uh, a thing that he kept saying was the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And with all this kind of transfer portal saga happening, that whole line kept coming back to me. Um, And I wonder how much does this help USC's recruiting efforts down the line when you have guys like Brew McCoy and Chris Steele going to outside California, going to other programs and realizing like, eh. Maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be. Granted, Chris Steele had kind of a different reason than Brew McCoy, but it kind of, how much does that help to be like, hey, look at these guys, and they actually ended up here after all? I mean, you can use those guys on recruiting visits and say, hey, I went to this school, and, you know, especially if, you know, so and so is being recruited by Texas or Florida as well, you know, you can say, yeah, I went there and, 
it's just not the same as USC. USC is different because of so-and-so and so-and-so. Um, so you can use them as recruiting tools. I, I don't know that it helps with just the general recruiting. Like, oh, well, everybody's coming back to USC. I think it's just the natural lure of USC. It's in a great place, great weather, great, you know, the facilities are good. They're not, they're not the greatest, I'll, I'll say that. But uh, and I think that USC just has those built-in natural recruiting advantages, and, you know, I think it's playing up here. That's good because the 2018 class, or excuse me, 2019 class was not great. You know, they finished, I think, 20th or 22nd, something like that, after the, after Brew flipped. Now, these guys aren't going to count towards the class. I know people care. Apparently, they care about the rankings. Well, where does that move them in the rankings? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is you get those players. Yep. You need more talented players. Uh, and you need to put them in the right positions. And, you know, and I think the offense this year is going to do that. So, we'll see how this team develops with a new offense and some more talented players. It helps when you get four- and five-star guys. Always does. Talent always helps. The national perspective, does this help USC at all? Or is this kind of weird, odd situations that happen to go USC's way? Uh, I don't know exactly what you mean. Do people looking on the outside go, okay, well, maybe people actually still want to go to USC? Or is it just like, this is weird and it's weird? Uh, I think they're like, it's weird, let me pay attention to what's going on. And they're like, dang, USC gets somebody again. I think that's kind of the outside perception. It's so like, why, why is US, people going to USC? I mean, that, that's you look at it and like, why would you want to go there? They went five and seven. And you're like, well, it's USC. So I think, I think you see the allure there from a national perspective. Like, people will still go to USC even when they've struggled. Um, but at, at the same time, I think people are paying more attention because they're like, what is going on? Like, I had, you know, I'm, I cover baseball in the spring, obviously, and I had coaches be like, What's going on with that McCoy kid? He's going to Texas? He's going to U.S.? And like I have to explain the whole situation to him. I just had that happen over the weekend with, with a coach up, up in the uh, at the Stanford Regional. Just one of the assistants is like, what's going on with this? Like, this, this seems weird. I'm like, yeah, and here's why it is, and here's the explanation. So I think people are paying attention because it's a unique situation. Now, I think it will be less and less unique as the transfer portal continues. But, it, I mean, it's still kind of rare that someone leaves as an early enrollee and after three months says, you know what, this isn't right for me. And you then, see that sometimes. Yeah. You see that a lot of times. Kids come in, they go through their freshman season, and they transfer. It's basically the same thing. It's a three or four month period, depending on when they get in. You know, in the spring or I mean, the summer or the fall. I think you're just seeing this. The it's just pushed up because these kids are early enrollees. Not that you necessarily want to dictate this, but how should USC fans take all this news? I mean, because it's it's such an odd sequence of events. Like, I feel like they're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're used to like bad news happening. <laughs> how do you? How should they process this? Well, all the bad news happened in January, apparently. Apparently, with Cliff Kingsbury leaving and Brew McCoy leaving. Now you come to June. You know, it's not over till it's over. I guess so. June now McCoy's back. Now you get Chris Steele, and Chris Steele remember was a USC commit at one point. Was also a UCLA commit long before that. Um, and then to Florida, and then Oregon commit. Now back to USC. That's a that's a so that's a Carmen San Diego. Yeah, true. You and Chris Steele, Carmen San Diego's. <laughs> um, but I think it's it, for USC fans. They should be excited. You know, you're getting more talented players. Getting talented players is good. Yes, that's the motto. That's yeah. the main bullet point of this podcast. And hey, you bring in Drew Richmond as well on the offensive line to give yep. somebody else to compete there as a, as a transfer from Tennessee. So I, I think that USC post spring has is on the rise up. Now, postseason to spring was definitely a downturn. You could say it was stocked down. Definitely, it was stocked down. <laughs> and then spring, now you got uh, post-spring and you got stock up. Stock up. I think that's going to wrap it up for the, the trio, the crazy trio. 
I think it's time to invoke your baseball knowledge, Shotgun, for a oh. quick baseball minute. Because Dan Hubbs is no longer USC's baseball head coach, manager. How do they say it? Head college? coach. Sure, okay. You don't manage until you get to professional ranks. The big leagues. Yeah. Sure. Um, so, yeah, Dan Hubbs, the USC's head coach for the last seven years, I want to say, um, has... They've decided not to renew his contract. You know, his contract ends at the end of June, so he's still technically the coach right now. But they are having a national search, uh, which... Air quotes, lots of air quotes. Air quotes on the national search, because they always talk about having a national search. Now, I've got some national names I can give them. If they want a list, i got some guys they can go out and interview. You know, one of them would start with Pat Casey. Now, Pat Casey won a national championship with Oregon State last year. He's won two national championships. Stepped down just out of nowhere, like in September, just kind of out of the blue. And in his contract, it was left open that he had until June 1st to decide if he wanted to come back. You know, basically took a break from coaching. It's like, okay, I'll take a year off and I'll come back. Recharge my batteries type of thing. Well, he said, you know, they put out a statement yesterday, actually, Oregon State did, that he is not returning to their dugout. So... I would definitely call and make him say, yeah, I'm not returning to your dugout either. <laughs> but I would make him say that. That's one of the first guys I would call. Anyone who's won a national championship, you should, you know, those those guys should be on the list. Yes. Uh, you know, there's a lot of national guys out there that I would look at. You know, if you could somehow lure some of the coaches away from the SEC, yes. If you could lure Jim Sloshnagel away from TCU, yes. You, know, you do that. Now, in the West Coast, the candidates are more viable, I think. Um, you know, also Eric Backage from Michigan is a guy that's on my list. You know, I really like what he's done with the Michigan program, a program that's not, you know, necessarily the Big Ten's not known for winning in baseball. And they're in the Super Regionals at UCLA this weekend. So, hey, he's already in town. Might as well bring him in for an interview this week. That's what I would do. Um, so, you know, they, they get in on, on probably tonight, Wednesday night. Then, you know, Thursday morning, come on over, chat for a little bit. That's what I would do. Um, so Eric Backage is a guy I would look at. I would look at Eric Valenzuela at St. Mary's, who is a, a coach that's you know is really good, been really good at recruiting in Southern California. It was at San Diego State, San Diego. He went to St. Mary's his first head coaching job. No one has ever won at St. Mary's. It is a terrible place to try to win at. It's a private school. It's really expensive. The facilities are not very good, and he has won there. He has done some good things there. They made their first regional in 2016, I want to say. He's had some top picks. They just had a kid drafted in the fourth or fifth round yesterday. Corbin Burns, who's with the Brewers, was a third-round pick for them. Has made already made it to the big leagues. That's a guy I would look at. Um, Reggie Christensen at Sacramento State has done really good things at that program. That's another guy I look at. They're also looking internally, and maybe it's a cost-saving move. Maybe they just really like Gabe Alvarez or Matt Curtis. They're looking in internally as well at those two guys. I know Gabe Alvarez is probably going to get an interview, it sounds like, from, from what I've heard from a couple sources. So, you know, he's a guy that's been with the program for, for the last nine years, I want to say. So he's been their recruiting coordinator. USC has recruited well. They've just not developed guys well enough, and they haven't had teams come together well enough consistently over Dan Hub's time. You know, they, they went to the 2015 Lake Elsinore Regional, had a shot in that one to make a Super Regionals, uh, and fell short to the eventual national champions, Virginia. Uh, but, you know, after that, the next year they didn't take the step that they were expecting to take. They had a couple of injuries, but they they just didn't come you know come together and make that next step. Uh, so they had 13 guys drafted that year. That's a ton of talent. 
This year, they just had, uh, I think it was four more guys drafted today, so they have seven total. That's a good amount of talent as well, and it's a team that, that finished under 500. So they've had some talent, and they've got some really good talent on the roster right now that, that's going to come back. Kyle Hurt was not drafted today, so he's a guy that can come back. You know, He was a, red, he was a draft-eligible sophomore. He's got a lot of talent if he can throw enough strikes. He can be a Friday. He can be a front-line guy. He can be a top three-round draft pick. You have you, you. There's some talent on the roster. Whoever comes in, so there's some of the names that that you know that have been thrown out that that I've heard. Um, there's some more that I'm not off the top of my head. I'll pull up my list in a minute, and you'll you'll be like, we already talked about baseball. Yeah, we're not doing that. As far as t- the timeline goes, what does the timeline look like for trying to find a new head coach? So, part of it is there's several jobs on the West Coast open right now. Long Beach State is open. Their head coach was fired in the middle of the season for a unique situation um but that job's open they're actually i've been told they may hire someone that by the end of this week wow now maybe early next week but in within the next week they will hire someone i was told um is that fast not necessarily because they've had a little bit longer to interview candidates uh so they've been interviewing candidates since the season ended as well but you know they've had opportunities to, to look over and look for, for what they're looking for uh previously Oregon's job is open. George Horton left there. That's a coach USC could look at because he want, you know, went to the College World Series multiple times at, at uh, Cal State Fullerton. I think he won a national title there. Went to Oregon, had really good success. They brought the program back out of nowhere, uh, had really good success there early in his career, uh, early in his time there. But the last few years, they've, they've kind of been on a downward trend, haven't made the, the postseason in the last four or five years. So he was not retained. They, they mutually parted ways there. So that job's open. Oregon State job is technically open. You know, the, with the thing they put out yesterday with Pat Casey, they said, we're going to have a national search. Even though they've had an interim coach that led them, you know, to a top 16 seed uh, in the tournament, uh, Pat Bailey, they're like, oh, we're going to have a national search. So that one's technically open. I don't know where they're going to go there. They could go to the pitching coach, Nate Yeski, who is another guy that's really good there. Hey, you don't try to wrap me up over there. It was baseball minute, not baseball minutes. Ah, that's too bad. You you let me, you let, you let Even the door the open. Even the boss man is telling you to get this going. <laughs> Let's go. Come on. My point is that there's several jobs on the West Coast open, so hiring quicker would be a smart thing to do. Because, I, like I said, the Long Beach State one is going to be the first domino to fall. But if if you're competing for a guy with Oregon and Oregon's got some Nike money behind it, you know, you might be bidding a little bit lower than them. So if you make the decision first, you might have your guy. But if you wait, then you know you might be outbid by Oregon. So th- those type of things. And there's there's a couple other jobs open. So you might the quicker you can make a decision, the better. It makes sense. Good job. Good job wrapping up. You tried. Moving on to questions, shall we? Sure. Our first question. Hello, Shotgun and Keely. This is Maybette from Ontario, California. Maybette. <laughs> she says, good memory, Keely. In my previous question, you remembered that Shotgun thought I was from Canada. It's true. Uh, questions. Did Helton's tough guy act last through all the spring practices? Which Helton do you think will show up during the football season? The real soft Helton or the fake tough guy? Keep feuding and thanks for sharing your thoughts. So I've been around a coach that was a fake tough guy. No one bought it. No one bought it. Just it was behind your back, behind his back, people laugh. You know, that's, we know that's not his character, so it doesn't work. Helton, on the other hand, has the nice guy persona on the outside, but he's a guy that you know. We I've heard from people that if you get called into his office, you get chewed out. Like it, it, he's not nice guy all the time. Now he's a nice person. I would say that, 
But I think he can be the tough guy as well. He's still got that football coach, tough guy mentality. So I don't think it's an act when it when that happens. When he goes off on players in practice and is yelling and people have to do up-downs, I don't think players behind their back going, this guy, we got to listen to this guy. I don't think that's happening. Um, so I, I think that, that that's not really something that USC has to worry about. I don't think that you have the players just not believing in their coach at all because of a fake tough guy act. Yeah, I would agree. When I would give kind of updates about Helton's angry at refs or something during mm-hmm. games, people would always be shocked and be like, Helton, nice guy, is getting mad at refs. It's like, from day one, he's always been very angry at the sideline when he felt he needed to be. So it's not something that he's just suddenly started now. I mean, he's always had that tough, edgier side to him, if you will. Um, so I think that's there. Like you said, uh, it's not. I don't feel like it's fake. Whether it will be consistent throughout the year, is a question mark because we've seen him say, okay, we're going to do conditioning after practice and then do it a couple times and then it doesn't stay. You know, it's whether I think he can be the tough guy. It's whether he chooses to do, he chooses to do that consistently so that players can know what to expect from him. Yeah. I don't know what people know, but you can have a range of emotions. Like you don't always have to be nice and always have to be mean or, you know, anywhere in between. You can do both. It's okay. It's allowed. Uh, But yeah, I, I think that's, if the season is going bad, he's going to get more and more upset because he knows his job's on the line. And that's that's just kind of the nature of the beast. When you're backed into a corner, you know, it's like a caged catamount. It's one of my favorite sayings. Sure. Do you know what a catamount is? No. What a, uh, don't tell me. We're, we're moving on. <laughs> Michael from Newport Beach says, hi, Shotgun. can't believe you don't know what a catamount is. What is it? It's a cougar, a mountain lion. Oh, okay. It's another word for it. Cool. There's a team whose na- name is the catamounts. Thank you. If I'm ever on Jeopardy, I will invoke that knowledge. My, Michael from Newport Beach says, Hi, Shotgun. I've looked at your stats on play counts on defense, special teams, and offense, and it has me thinking. When I heard the rule was announced that players could play for four games and still redshirt, it seemed intuitive to me that this was basically going to enable teams to finish the year strong with a healthy, competitive team instead of limping across the finish line when it's most important because there are so many hurt players. It also seems smart to keep freshmen focused on improving over the year and earning playing time over the final four games or as needed to replace injured starters. Can you comment on Clay Helton's approach on using freshmen? It seems like they got too many plays on special teams or just early gains in the year. You would think sophomores, juniors, and seniors can fill, fill the special teams, so don't burn a red shirt or waste their games on special teams plays. Also, wouldn't a freshman be better at the end of the year versus the beginning of the season? Again, they would probably be more useful filling in for injured players later in the year as well. Thanks and fight on. Now, Michael, I agree with a lot of your your comments. Um, I think that yeah, you should guys should build up, and you know, as they earn time, they should play more in the, in the season. Except they kind of did that. I don't. I'm, I'm not sure what you were looking at uh, when you were looking at the stats. So the couple guys that played early and didn't play late were guys that got injured. Isaac Taylor Stewart, you know, he played the first four games and he got injured. He would have played the whole season, so he wasn't going to redshirt to begin with. Guy like Caleb Tremblay is similar. You know, he was going to play. You know, he, these are guys that weren't playing red shirts. It's not like they were playing them the first four games and been like, all right, we got to sit you the rest of the season because we want to make sure that you're still in red shirt. There's guys that, you know, those guys just got injured. The guys that did red shirt that played some, you know, those guys played later in the season. Guys like Abdul Malik McLean, you know, he played only a handful of snaps. Now, I would say if you're going to play those guys, give them a little bit more opportunity. Like him, he didn't play on special teams or anything. But a guy like Elijah Winston, didn't play on on defense, but 
He played four games on special teams. There were four of the last five games of the season. I think that's what you're looking for. Marquis Steps, similar. You know, he played his four games were all in the second half of the season, I believe. You know, the first game was Colorado. But all these guys that did play and did redshirt, most of their time came later in the season. The only ones that did that came early in the season were guys that were in that were injured that probably weren't going to redshirt to begin with. Isaiah Taylor Stewart was not going to be a redshirt, but because of the ankle injury, he became one. Now, you want guys to progress and you can slot them in later in the season and use them because your injured your injuries or whatever it may be. And that's what happened with a guy like Chase Williams, you know, who started the Notre Dame game. He had only played in one other game the rest of, or two other games the rest of the season. But his was first game of the season, Colorado right in the middle of the season, the last game. So I don't think that really fits into the narrative either. I, I think it's more USC tried to do that as much as they could last year. Uh, we have another question from Miles Baker. He says, whose seat is hotter, uh, Clay Helton or Lynn Swan? I think it's Swan. Helton will make it through half the season at worst. I'm not sure Swan will make it that long. Thoughts? Fight on. That's a good question. You know, And, and it depends on Carol Fultz's disposition with sports and where she sees the athletic program is at and whether or not that's something she wants to address first. Because obviously we talked about there's a lot of issues at USC that this new president is coming in. Um, and what are you trying to attack first? Sports might be, to an extent, might be a little bit of an easier fix than some of the other ones, so maybe you go after that first. But also maybe it's not as important, so we'll focus on the other stuff first. Yeah. Um, so, And maybe she likes Lynn Swan. I would find that hard to believe because I don't think Lynn Swan has done a great job as the athletic director, but maybe she thinks that, yeah. So uh, I think that makes it hard. I think that there's more impatience with Clay Helton because – there's direct results you can look at. There's win-loss record you can look at. Lin Swan, he's the head of the entire department, so you can't necessarily... Now, if every team is terrible in your department, then yeah, you look at the athletic director and say they're terrible. But some other sports are still producing. You know, you, you decide on how well is the, the football team. That's the, the bell cow. So you look at that one. But it, it's harder to quantify Lin Swan's success versus failures, whereas Clay Helton, win-loss record, says it easily. Yeah, I'm I'm curious how much as more comes out how much the athletic department the scandal surrounding that um if Lynn Swan is kind of held responsible for having that under his nose essentially how much the she, academic scandal are we talking about? Yes, the sorry, the academic scandal within the athletic department. Um how much does she weigh that as far as Lynn Swan's job performance? I don't know. Um, at our event, uh, State of Troy event on last Saturday, Bruce Feldman put the over under of Lynn Swan being gone by October, and he said if it's not before Oct- if it's not before October, he would be shocked. Yeah. So, so I don't know. That could easily see that could happen, but that, I think the question comes in because Carol Folt takes over on July first. Yes. That basically gives you a month before the school year is beginning, before fall camp starts for football practice. So do you make an immediate change? Now, she's been around the school for the last month and a half or so. So, you know, she's kind of getting a feel of things, but she's not in, you know, in the office and going through these things. So I think it really it just depends on her and how what she perceives to be the most important thing. And like I said, I think just because it's so much easier to quantify, you know, Clay Helton's success versus failures. And I think that USC is going to be decent this year. So I think Clay Helton's going to ride it a little bit more. That tough first six games is tough, but, you know, I think he'll make it through. Interesting. So I would say Lynn Swans, technically. I think Lynn will be gone before Clay Helton. That's tough to say. Yeah. I'm going to say the Swan, question mark? 
Hot or seat? That's my that's my answer. Stephen Poway asks, don't look now. But was that incoming freshman DB Dorian Hewitt, who placed third right behind Lance Broom and national track phenom Matthew Bowling in the Houston men's 3-6A 100 meters race with a win at 10.33 seconds? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Wow! Exclamation point. Looks like San Diego and Keenan Kristen won't be the only incoming freshman with blazing speed. Nice! Yes, that is true, Steve. You are correct. Dorian Hewitt is, that's why we kind of think this guy is maybe a little bit of a sleeper. He was on a really good team. He's the, you know, the captain of that defense, I believe, as a safety. You know, I think they won their state, their state title um, in Texas. So that's telling you something because that's hard to win in Texas. And yeah, he's fast. So I don't know what the knock on him necessarily is that, you know, that he was only rated a three star. Um, because we haven't seen him in person, but yeah, he's gonna be fast. You got Dominic Davis fast. You got Keenan Kristen fast. You got Velas Jones back. So yeah, USC's adding speed, and that's what you want. That's what, especially on the offensive side with this new offense. They, they need speedy guys, but adding D, uh, the DBs as well is is never a bad thing. Agreed. A tremendous reading of that question, Jack. Well, thank you. We have a Twitter question from Gustavo. Gustavo. First he says, in all caps, where have you been, shotgun? See, I'm not the only one. Uh, <laughs> That's an actual question. He, and then he says, real question, which incoming transfer do you expect to have the biggest impact? Drew Richmond, Chris Steele, or Brew McCoy? So where have I been? All over, actually. Carmen San Diego. I've, I've only spent one weekend at home the last nine weekends, I think, and that was to move apartments. Crazy. And I'm going to Louisville this weekend in Cincinnati and Ohio. Um, so I've been all over the place. But the real question, which incoming transfer? Of those three, I would say Drew Richmond because Brew McCoy's prob- biggest impact. Well, I was thinking this year because Brew McCoy's not going to be eligible. I mean, he eligible. didn't specify that, That's true. I, I realized that. Yeah. So overall, I think Brew McCoy will have the biggest impact if he comes to USC. Still not confirmed yet. Yes. Implied, but not confirmed. This year, I think Drew Richmond because he can step right in, compete for an offensive, uh, you know, offensive line spot, and helps boost that depth there at the offensive line. So that's what I'm going with. For the sake of being different from you, I'm going to say Chris Steele, just because USC will get a boost uh, in the DBs at quarterback, and that will be good for USC. Well, you know, Drew Richmond's coming in and probably going to start. Yeah, I, you're not transferring here and not starting. Whereas Chris Steele, we don't know if he's going to win a spot. I know, and that's why I said for the sake of being different from you, I actually agree with Drew Richmond, but I wanted to be different. See, I told you, you just always agree with me. That is false. That is false. <laughs> uh, Daniel Mercado sent us a tweet saying, "Do you guys celebrate Christmas in July?" Question mark. The Angels do. They have a Christmas in July like day at the stadium. It's kind of weird. I've never heard of this before. July 25th, because it's six months away from from. Never heard of this before. Really? Yep, people do. I've heard the saying, oh, it's like Christmas in July. But maybe that's what they mean by getting Brew McCoy and Chris Steele. Oh, wait, but it's it's June. USC fans celebrate Christmas in June. Yeah, the saying is Christmas in July. I know. Uh, Speaking of which, Mike Fisher says... I don't celebrate half birthdays either. Sorry. No. Okay, good to know. Mike Fisher on Twitter says, with all this great look coming our way, what's the imminent disaster that's about to happen to us? Mike from Carlsbad. I guess you check the police blotter and hope that you don't see a USC name in there. But that's oh boy, that's what my immediate thought would be. Or someone's academically ineligible after the the uh, summer sessions or something. You go into the fall and like, well, this person's not playing. What? Oops. Yeah, that wasn't supposed to happen. But let's let's positive thoughts, USC fans. Positive yeah. thoughts. Now this a little optimism, people. This comment that I'm about to have has been a long time coming. My sister actually came up with this because I asked her last time on our podcast, we we said, is a hot dog a sandwich? Uh Yes. 
Now, when I asked my sister this, she had a revolutionary thought. She said, is a hot dog a taco? Isn't that insane? It blew my mind. Okay. I'm not even touching this. You're not fun, Shotgun. I was so no. excited to tell you. I've been a waiting for A hot dog is weeks. not a taco. Yes. Why would Why it be not? a taco? It is encased in a carb-like component, and there is a meat in the middle. A carb-like component? Bread and tacos. Bread like and tortilla are not the they're same both thing. Carbs. They're two different things. But they're okay, but still. So is a sandwich and a hot dog. You can argue those are two different things. It's still bread and bread. That's why there's the argument. Not necessarily. It's completely foreign. No. No, it's not. But you could argue the same tenets that we argued that a hot dog is a sandwich, you could argue that a, a hot dog is a taco. No, this is just dumb. <gasps> Shotgun, I hate you. <laughs> no. I was so excited to tell you, and you just crushed my dreams. I knew it was going to happen, but just hearing <laughs> it is just awful. <laughs> it's not even close. It is. It's bread and another form of something that holds things together. I would argue that it's a taco. Oh, my God. I, I What? Argue that, why is it not? This is, this is a discussion you need to have with the food analogy master, Ryan Abraham, instead That's of me. That's true. That's true. Quick take, Ryan, is a hot dog a taco? No, he says no. No. Sorry, stop. I tried. I tried. Good job, Keely's sister. Yeah. Any final thoughts before we wrap up the podcast? I think that's about it. Good for an off-season podcast. I know, lots <laughs> Obviously, of news. A lot of news for an <laughs> off-season one. Um, hopefully, we'll get start to see some uh, summer workouts, question mark. Question mark. Maybe we'll, probably not. I don't know. Uh, USC is getting weird more about and more year. restrictive yeah. for no good reason besides that they want to be. True. Yeah, and they're starting to be all the USC camps, too. June is a USC camp month, so we'll probably have news and th- interviews to talk about. So and There's a seven-on-seven camp this weekend, which yep, I just realized weekend. I won't be able to attend. And O-line camp. It's a doubleheader. So. Disappointed. I know. I'm I like the camps. I actually like going to USC's camps, because, especially now. I know more of the players from you know covering for other sites as well. So it's, it's fun to see the players and see them come out and compete and see who's going to actually compete in the camps. That's the thing about the camp si- situation is, Oh, you're going to get some, you know, you want to learn some stuff. Yeah, not unless you're trying, not if you're trying to get a scholarship, you're coming here to prove yourself. And that, and that's interesting. The camp situation is interesting because used to USC's, you know, USC's Rising Stars camp was, was the opening of the West because everyone was coming. Even if they weren't, you know, necessarily, you know, USC wasn't high on their list, they were coming to, you know, to prove themselves, work on their ranking, do all those type things. Now it's a little bit different because there's so many satellite camps and different things. Uh, but you know, you want to see who's going to show up on campus, who wants to prove themselves, who wants USC to see them, to see who has that desire in USC. But then you also want to see who shows out, who gets those offers. You know, who's the Liam Douglas who, out of nowhere, pop up, gets an offer, he's taking the offer, and now he's at USC and, and trying to develop. You know, uh, I think it's his third year. This will be his fourth year in football. Yeah. So he's a very raw guy, but you know that's what you're looking for at the camps. You're looking for those raw skills and different things. So, uh, you know, I'm always excited to see the camps, and I'm kind of disappointed that I'm going to miss some of them because of my travel schedule. Yeah, I mean, but now Rising Stars is now kind of more the the common camp. Now it's an elite camp where you see those guys um, show out and get those offers. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. Thanks for listening to our podcast. As always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Peace.